Last night I announced that we're recommending in the city of LA that we recommend Angelinos use homemade face coverings when you're in public and when you're interacting with others. Data shows many folks who are infected are asymptomatic and can become super spreaders, infecting people they come into contact with. And together with physical distancing and staying at home, adding a protective face covering is another tool to slow the spread. We want you to keep your respiratory droplets to yourself. Well, I just don't want to wear one myself. It's a recommendation. They recommend it. Uh, I'm feeling good. I just don't want to be doing, I don't know, somehow sitting in the Oval Office behind that beautiful Resolute desk. The great Resolute desk. I think uh, wearing a face mask as I greet presidents, prime ministers, dictators, kings, queens, I don't know, somehow I don't see it for myself. I just, I just don't. Maybe I'll change my mind, but. y'all, this is Chris Roth here with Bushido Squirrel with your weekly knock activism wrap-up. Today we're going to be talking about the coronavirus again, of course, and the uh, expanding impact that this has, uh, that the stay-at-home order has had on folks living across the city, the county, and the entire state of California. But first, how's week three of quarantine going for you, Bushido? Uh, I think my cats are, uh, have had enough of me. Um, they, they, seem to, <laughs> they seem to be like, aren't you, aren't you leaving? Don't you have some place to go? That's my napping spot. Why are you still in my napping spot? So, uh, but yeah, so no, it's going, like it's going fine. Dogs, huh? uh, still adjusting to the whole, you know, uh, friendships over uh, Zoom calls, but the the sacrifices so we weird. make. So, all in all, I think it's good. And then, you know, obviously the mutual aid network is coming along really well at this point. We've collected about sixty eight thousand dollars in our GoFundMe. We've been able to distribute so around six thousand dollars in direct cash assistance to people. We've been able to. Uh, purchase another five to six grand worth of supplies, including, uh, you know, not just food, but durable goods, tents and sleeping bags. Our outreach team has successfully housed four people. We've been doing this for three weeks and we've gotten four people into housing uh, without the help of the the city or the state. Uh, And then beyond that, we're just banging. The the inventory room is coming together. Our Our sanitation and decontamination protocols are working really well. Um, we're, you know, taking really hard line on this. We're working with a lot of bleach. We're working as safely as we possibly can. We're treating the office as an actual like hot zone. And we have a a specifically cleaned clean room where we keep everything that we've sanitized and decontaminated. And we very strict rules over who can go in, who can go out, uh, what can happen in that room. Because the last thing we want to do is be a vector factory. The last thing that we want to do is allow our desire to help to actually create more harm. So uh, fortunately, we have a really skilled registered nurse and a former former uh, army medic who is uh, leading our decontamination uh, and uh, sanitation protocols and consulting with doctors and scientists so we know that we're always caught up on what works and what doesn't. Uh, if you want to make uh, a donation, I'm going to put the GoFundMe in the uh, the description below. Uh, we could really use your help. We got a soft goal to get to $75,000 by Monday. So if you can throw us some money, you can pass this around, you can boost it. We really, really, really need your help. Uh, and we're going to be able to keep doing a lot of good work and helping people out 
Uh, and, you know, it's just really exciting. Um, you know, we've got dozens of drivers. We have dozens of volunteers for all of the different teams. Uh, we have a team that specifically goes through our intake form, determines what the needs are and how to best funnel those, how to get people connected with services. Um, we're, you know, running a very robust mutual aid network that we've built in less than a month. And uh, that shit's kind of scary. We, uh, we have a lot of skills here at Ground Game, and that continually impresses me and motivates me because uh, I always feel like I'm trying to keep up with everyone else. Uh, but it's been it's been great. Uh, and also, your bread, very tasty. My roommate's ripped right through that. So <laughs> how have you been doing, Chris? Uh, well, I've been uh, doing pretty well. You know, I'm basically, I, I, I've really focused on self-isolating here because I am absolutely terrified of the possibility, or at this point I'm thinking probability that, you know, of, of being an asymptomatic uh, vector factory. Um, and it's, it's really just, I'm, I'm trying to stay home as much as possible. And so, uh, baking, as you just alluded to, has really become like my source of solace in these extremely, uh, trying times. Like as a person who is very extroverted, this like being cooped up by myself, uh, is really shitty. Like I can look out my window and see people in the building across from me and it's like, okay, well, you're, you're close, but I can't talk to any of you. Uh, <laughs> and I can't go like visit my neighbors on other floors in my building. It's really just like the social isolation is just really tough, but um, I am enjoying getting to uh, try out my hand at baking uh, in a much more serious way. I'm going to be, um, I've got the, the I, I ordered the, the tartine bread uh, book before the tartine, um, you know, the unionization drive that they started up there. So I don't feel too guilty about having that book. And I'm going to try some of those recipes because it uh, looks like that's the, you know, that's the plan to step up my my bread baking uh, game, as it were. Uh, and just going to keep diving into that. So, you know, <laughs> you, you might get to have some more more loaves of bread coming your way at some point here. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's, uh, you know, the zoom calls, you know, it's starting to do like family, family FaceTime calls, like that stuff. We're, we're trying to figure that all out. My, my, my brothers and I are all spread across the country in like literally the most diverse set of time zones we could be in. Uh, only thing that could be making it more difficult would be if one of us lived in Hawaii and, uh, yeah, so it's, it's difficult to get everybody, uh, talking at the same time, but my, my nieces and nephews are all their school has been canceled through the end of the year. So there's a lot of kids at home with my brother and his wife, and uh, they're going to be having a lot of a lot of childcare on their hands on top of, you know, being able to do their actual jobs from home. So uh, my situation is uh, pretty relaxed compared to that. But at the same time, it is very socially isolating. So. Yeah. Well, we're yeah. going to we're going to be talking about school stuff here in a minute. But um, oh, yeah. Here at the top, let's uh, talk about what's going on with the coronavirus, uh, the number of cases, number of deaths. Uh, it looks like uh, if you go to uh, there's another bit.ly that I'm going to put down and it's actually the same bit.ly that mm -hmm. we use, but it just doesn't have any capitals in it. <laughs> But it's LA COVID. matters. Yes, but it's bit.ly slash LA COVID19. You can see graphs charting the cases. And it looks like we are successfully flattening the curve. It looks as though we're going to hew closer so to 18% daily growth in the number of diagnosed cases rather than the 26% daily growth that we could be facing on that really steep curve. So it seems like this is working, but just by the number of people we have in Los Angeles county and city, there's going to be a lot of cases. So let's let's dive into these numbers real quick. 
Yeah, so as of 9.20 a.m. this morning, this is April 4th when we're recording, uh, the Los Angeles County statistic right now that we're looking at is 12,639 confirmed cases of COVID-19. That's an increase of 52 so far just today, and it was 1,379 new cases yesterday. Uh, The death toll stands at 285 so far. No new deaths so far today, but we had 39 people die uh, of COVID-19 in LA County yesterday. Yeah, and world, so a couple of things that we know. I, I was going like, to say worldwide, we're uh, cresting, uh, we're getting closer and closer to uh, almost 100,000 deaths. We're quickly charting towards a million cases confirmed across the world. But in places that were hotspots, uh, especially like Italy and Spain, we are seeing those curves finally flatten. The death rate is still very high. Uh, it looks as though England is going to be the next one to get hit internationally. Um, and it's it's a hard one here in the U.S. because we have some states like California that have been very responsible in immediately ordering social isolation, in pretty much locking mm-hmm. everything down. And then we have other states like Arizona that have not done that, states like Wisconsin that have not done that, states like Florida that waited forever to do it and then carved out a bunch of exemptions. So across America, it's really going to be uh, a region-by-region region fight that we're going to have to sort of like slug out over the next three to six months totally. You know, we're we're looking at these curves hopefully flattening and tapering off in places like New York and LA in, you know, the next two to three months. But this virus isn't going to go away in two to three months. It's going to be around for, for years. Um, and making sure that it doesn't flare up again is going to be the next struggle that we're going to have to get into. Yeah, and a uh, slight correction on myself. I, I misspoke. Those are the uh, case count and death count for the state of California, not the county of Los Angeles. I was uh, yeah. looking at the wrong table there. Um, but well, a couple of things that we do know about what's going on, uh, and this is quoting, pull, pulling straight from the LA Times here, um, cases and deaths are, are increasing every day with little sign of slowing. Uh, we've got confirmed cases in 52 out of the 58 counties in the state of California. The largest concentration so far is right here in L.A. County, which is, of course, the state's most populous county. Like we're literally 25 percent of the population of the city or the, st- the county of Los Angeles is more than 25 percent of the population of the entire state of California. Yeah. So it makes sense that we would have the most cases, obviously. Um, California's totals now sit below New York. Though some experts are saying that this may be due at least in part to bottlenecks in testing, which is a repeated uh, story around the country because the federal government, the CDC, everybody has just been tripping over themselves to completely fuck up the testing rollout as best they can uh, when it comes to political leadership. So, And this is also one reason we yeah. saw uh, the West Side and wealthier enclaves very early on in this uh, as like hotbeds of corona cases because they were the only folks with access to testing. Um, you know, the numbers in South LA are still dismally low. Um, but if if New Orleans is to be believed, and if the, the death rates across yeah. the nation are to be believed, the, the death rate in black and brown communities is going to far outstrip white communities. And a lot of that's going to be because of a lack of testing and a last, lack of treatment yeah. available. Yeah, so that's uh, where we're at right now. And um, a, a final note on that, to uh, to combat the virus's spread, state and local officials have basically shuttered uh, pretty much all of the government uh, and the economy uh, across the state. And so we're going to get into some more details about that and the impacts that that's going to have uh, as things continue to progress. And this also highlights uh, the need for local governments to be more flexible and adaptive and embracing the whole like 
if we can use Zoom, do it. If organizers can figure out how to use Zoom, some city council members can absolutely figure out how to use Zoom as well. And more than uh, we more than once that, every two that weeks. One city council meeting. Yeah. Oh, yeah. For sure. Uh, they did cancel this week's meeting. Uh, they had we had that that meeting a week ago, which was honestly again one of the most um, in depth and uh, captivating, honestly, uh, city council meetings that I've ever heard of. Uh, I, I really hope that they're going to do that again here soon. We did have some uh, motion from LA City Council yesterday. Uh, Nuri Martinez and Herb Wesson introduced a plan uh, to basically embrace the uh, the people's bailout language, at least, uh, though it's unclear exactly what they're planning on in terms of legislation. Um, but this is a, a fascinating turn of events to see Nuri uh, basically backtracking on her uh, rhetoric from before and actually looking to take care of people, which is a very welcome change. Yeah, we'll, we'll and, have to see where uh, the rubber hits the road on that one in terms of what council actually absolutely. supports. Yep, so they, they might have a meeting on Tuesday. We don't know exactly, um, but we'll see. And hopefully, I mean, hoping against hope that eviction moratorium will get readdressed because... Uh, we've had some changing rhetoric coming out of like council member Mitchell Farrell. Like he's been doing damage control on Twitter, releasing statements, trying to paint himself in the uh, rosiest of rose tinted glasses fashions. And the, you know, folks like Scott Frazier and others have really been calling him out online being like, yo dude, you were the deciding vote to not make an expansive moratorium uh, on evictions that would make it so that people don't have to worry about these massive increases in their stresses uh, in, a, in an already trying time of having to deal with the possibility of being taken to court by a landlord that is almost uh, invariably uh, in a position of higher uh, power and, and status to be able to really just fuck with people's lives. Um, so yeah, we'll, we'll see how all of this goes. Uh, keep in, t- you know, stay tuned to see how city council reacts in the coming week. Um, this is, you know, we're buckling in for the marathon here because this is, we're looking at at least another month or two or more. Of, End of May, uh, at least. Sheltering at home. End of, oh man, this is wild. So anyway, uh, one of the big updates that came out here in the last couple of days was, was actually on April Fool's Day. Uh, the mayor came out and announced in his, uh, basically he's doing these nightly state of the city in relation to COVID-19 updates. And uh, LAist has been uh, covering these very well. If you can, please go ahead and give them a donation to help support the work that they're doing because in these times we need honest and uh, you know, sincere reporting coming out of folks that we would rather not have it all being filtered through a corporate bias. Um, but anyway, Los Angeles is now recommending that all residents wear masks whenever they're in public or interacting with other folks. On April 1st, Garcetti, during his nightly update on the state of the city, said, quote, I think there's going to be some forthcoming advice in the coming days from our state and local officials, but I've been waiting uh, on the CDC. And they've been waiting on the CDC. I finally said today, I don't want to wait any longer. So congratulations, Garcetti. You did beat them to the punch by like two days. Uh, And the mayor laid out two categories of masks that people should be looking at and using appropriately. So the first is surgical masks. These are the things that have been completely unavailable in stores. Uh, They're medical grade, like N95 masks that everyone's been hearing about. And those should absolutely not be used by everyday people. Those should be reserved for medical professionals because we are facing an incredible crisis, uh, you know, a choking of the supply chains for that. The nurses need them more than you. 
do not buy, seek out, or use N95 masks. Please, 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 unless you absolutely have to, please make sure that those are reserved for the medical professionals who are putting their lives on the line trying to save us. What we are being told to do instead is to use hand, homemade cloth masks. Those are you know, bandanas, scarves, hand-sewn masks, and the like uh, that you should be wearing but everyone should be wearing these, including workers providing other essential services, such as those in food, retail, and vital infrastructure jobs. Uh, I've gotten word from folks in K-Town for All that there are uh, vendors selling these out on the corner, uh, you know, at like Wilshire and Vermont, uh, and all across K-Town. So if you're looking to find one of these cloth masks, go and find one of the local sellers who are selling them for a couple of bucks help people to survive in these times and also protect yourself at the same time so uh and here in la we have a group of people who can like make stuff like with sewing machines and cloth a a magical skill that is has that i have never been able to master uh but they're participating in project mask la which is sewing uh reusable masks for civilians um and even for some healthcare professionals because if you're not working directly with COVID patients in like a hot ICU room, you don't need an N95 to just be in a hospital, but you do need a mask of some sort, especially to protect yeah. other people from you. But if you get the chance, uh, check the description below. I've linked to their GoFundMe for Project Mask LA. And also, if you know how to sew stuff, if you know how to make stuff with a sewing machine, we could really use your help. And and I'm going to bet dollars to donuts that you've got some extra time on your hands. And these are pretty quick and easy <laughs> projects to put together. Super, super valuable. Uh, we're going to be getting some of these at uh, the ground game office so that we can give them to drivers and stuff um, so that we don't have to rely on N95s or on medical surgical masks so that we're no longer eating into that supply chain. But we're still able to keep our volunteers safe. Absolutely. Uh, that actually just brought to mind, there was this uh, absolutely heartbreaking video I saw of a, uh, a grandmother in Spain who has Parkinson's and was shaking, but she had been a seamstress her entire life. And uh, she was basically just on the verge of tears while she's struggling to with shaking hands to try to work the sewing machine because uh, these masks that they're making are so vital to the survival of people in the communities. So... Uh, anyway, it's it's really important. Uh, help yeah. out if, in any way you can. But uh, on a related note, um, folks have not businesses have not necessarily been taking uh, very seriously these these shutdown orders, or who have been, you know, trying in every way possible to figure out how to uh, classify themselves as essential so that they can keep working and people are not taking it seriously enough. So. Uh, the mayor in that same uh, address on April 1st announced that eight non-essential businesses that had been flouting the shutdown order were having their utilities cut off. According to the reporting from the LAist, quote, eight non-essential businesses have now been referred to the city attorney for prosecution because they failed to heed the initial closure order and all subsequent warnings. Garcetti said he's ordering the Department of Water and Power to cut their utilities, but he declined to name the businesses when pressed by reporters. Uh, so, yeah, this shit is fucking serious. Take it seriously and make sure that, you know, everyone around knows it. Uh, I did hear that there is one of the people in uh, in a building in K-Town that has a K-Town for All member in it. Uh, apparently, one of these neighbors is sitting on their balcony and shouting at people to uh, to work on their 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 social distancing as they're seeing them walking along on the street because people are still flouting that. So uh, keep that in mind. Be, be very diligent about this and uh, tell folks that you see that are not practicing social distancing to step up their game 
and, uh, you know, try to help keep people from dying. Very true. Um, yeah. And, you know, I, I realized one of my main errors in the uh, the before times, as we call them, was that, like, <laughs> my main hobby was visiting non-essential businesses. Um, <laughs> and I, I feel like that's going to that's going to change, you know, from from here on out. I'm only going to be looking to, to go to essential businesses uh, for fear of, of losing access to stuff that I, I dearly and sorely need. Uh, but let's uh, <laughs> but let's uh, let's move on to uh, the LAUSD situation, which is a little bit weird because yes. this this school year is effectively canceled. Um, we're students who are in LAUSD are uh, not going to be finishing out their year. There will be no graduations. Um, there will be no tests. Um, and students deserve the folks who. Um, the young folks who have been leading the charge against the school-to-prison pipeline in LAUSD and the criminalization of students uh, have hopped in with uh, a set of demands, and a set of demands that are very uh, closely aligned with what UTLA is is also demanding from the district. Yeah, so this, uh, to give a little bit more background for folks who don't necessarily remember who Students Deserve are, this is an organization uh, that's a group of students, parents, and teachers from within the Los Angeles Unified School District. They are all volunteer member leaders who, according to their website, quote, strategize, organize, set our own agendas, develop our leadership, decide for ourselves, experiment, create, and try to contribute to a broader movement for justice, end quote, which is honestly fantastic and hats off to them. Um, Black Lives Matter LA and Students Deserve are, in the words of BLMLA, quote, partners in the truest sense, sharing core values and vision, as well as goals and objectives. So what we're looking at here is a true movement for social justice, fo focusing on the educational system and the completely broken uh, equitability of that system within the city of Los city and county of Los Angeles. So uh, they've got a number of demands, which honestly are are extremely straightforward and make a lot of sense. Uh, because yeah, none of these are unreasonable. No, not at all. I, I was just having a conversation with my mom because my one of my cousins is graduating right now, and just hearing from you know from her from, that hearing the stories about what's going on with her, and you know as an as a pretty privileged. Uh, white woman who is growing up in the suburbs of Chicago, like the 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 drama surrounding their like the rollout of uh, you know remote schooling and what's going to happen with prom and with graduation and all these things. It's like okay, yeah, that's that makes sense. But then you start thinking about what the impacts that this is going to have on folks living in the city of Los Angeles, and it just blows your mind. Yeah. So. Getting into those demands, the first of them is universal passage of all classes and graduation for seniors. Pretty straightforward, makes sense because people need to be able to graduate. Uh, safe graduation ceremonies to celebrate their achievements. Food distribution centers that are ice-free and police-free zones. This is absolutely core. Uh, cancellation of all rent and evictions, not just a delay on rent. Uh, immediate housing, healthcare, and sanitary resources available for everyone. Um, they want to have their loved ones freed from all prison detention facilities to stop the spread of COVID-19. Uh, mental health support is also going to be necessary for the trauma and setbacks from this period. They're demanding a permanent college counselor uh, and a uh, psychiatric social worker and grief counselor at every school when the schools reopen because this is going to be extremely traumatizing for students. And also something uh, LAUSD demand, has lagged in like for years. Like This was one of the demands of the UTLA 100%. strike last year. Absolutely. And another one is to not be pepper sprayed in school by school police when they go back to school. Um, I, the fact that that even has to be listed in the demands is absolutely galling. Yeah, that's dark. Uh, 
Yes. So anyway, and the, the last one that they've listed up on their website is everything that the Black Lives Matter Global Network, United Teachers Los Angeles, Healthy LA Coalition, LA Tenants Union, Reform LA, and Justice LA Coalition are demanding. And yeah. uh, that's a really good catch-all of shit is fucked up. We need to be taking all of this extremely seriously, and we need to be doing it now. Local elected officials, what the hell are you waiting for? Get back to work and do your damn Yeah, jobs. and like we need to fire Austin Butner. Like all of these things that are being referred oh, to in these 100%. demands are problems that existed before the crisis. And they're problems directly related to the fact that Austin Butner is beholden to the charter school industry. He's part of this Bill Gates, Eli Broad school of thinking that schools should be a business. Ugh. And quite frankly, he can take a flying fuck off of the Santa Monica Pier with that bullshit. Yep. Like... He has done actual harm to our teachers and our students and made it harder for us to move forward as a city. And as L.A. is facing a crisis, we're like, we're too expensive for families to live here now. We've been seeing a drop in yes. LAUSD enrollments because families are moving out. After this crisis, that's going to get worse. The fact that we tie school funding to the number of students that you have there, to the actual attendance, is going to be a fucking problem in the next couple of years because a shit ton of people are going to get evicted and have to move out of LA because landlords are more beholden to the idea that they want the power to evict people than to actually provide housing for people. And this is all going to come to a head in LAUSD. And LAUSD, you know, not that long ago, like a half century ago or so, was one of the best school districts in the fucking nation. And it didn't take the capitalists that long yep. to dismantle that and our free university system and turn them into uh, basically Darwinian pits of competition that don't serve students, don't serve teachers, and don't serve parents. They serve the corporate consultants that get hired. They serve the board administrators who get insanely high salaries. And this is, I think, a good chance for us to wrest that power back. Like, LAUSD's board has been very quiet through all of this. Um, I think that when the next school year starts, they're going to catch a lot of hell, and I think that they deserve it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and this also, to, to tie that in, in case anyone has missed the connection there, uh, Prop 13 was really the, the catalyst for the absolute uh, dismantling. This is the old Prop 13, not the, the recent Prop 13 yeah, that was yeah, also yeah. about schools. <laughs> yeah, oh God, that's so confusing. Um, but yeah, the old Prop 13 from 1978 that gutted all of the financing of the schools from you know the state budget. There's uh, a graph that I found that was you know hand drawn from those old tables that were made in the 70s because they didn't have computers to print them out for you, and it is just devastating to see the the cut the rollback in the amount of state financing for public education in this state, and the you can easily see the ripple on effects. We went from being one of the absolute top public school systems in the state uh, across the country to being 41st in uh, per pupil spending. I mean, and, and as we've had discussed many times here, we know that your budgets reflect your priorities. And when the, when the state of California is spending more money on prisons than it is on schools, that basically tells you everything you need to know. Yeah, exactly. And, you so, know, like, if you don't like the gas tax time to repeal the original prop 13 which it looks like we might have a chance to do yep. in november uh but uh, fingers crossed on that yeah but uh let's uh let's move on to uh some state legislative action now, i'm gonna flag at the top of this uh we mentioned earlier but la city council's meet next meeting is going to be april 7th which means that they will have gone a week and a half since their last meeting uh remember la city council generally has four meetings a week in person in the main room with the full council we have so far basically our, our government has like 
abdicated their responsibility. Like the people who literally control this city, who each are like their own little mayor of their own district, have all been MIA. Now, uh, on the plus side, LA Tenants Union, Tenants Together, uh, the Eviction Defense Network, Ground Game, Street Watch, DSALA, like pretty much everyone who's in the tenant organizing space has been giving them absolute hell. Mitch O'Farrell had a rolling protest yeah. at his house last night. Paul Kerkorian got woken up this morning. Mayor Eric Garcetti got woken up, uh, not yesterday, but the day before. Wednesday. Yeah, yeah. There's, there is a committed and very energetic movement to wake them up out of their complacency. It'll, you know, we'll have to wait and see if that works. But like, if you're a city council member in the city of Los Angeles, don't expect every morning to be a quiet morning for you or every night to be a quiet night for you. Because until we get the protections that we need to protect renters and even homeowners in the city of Los Angeles, we're not going to let you rest. Now, it looks like the California legislature uh, is also using the pandemic as an excuse to not do their work. And that one's also oh, yeah. concerning um, because it seems like they should at least be able to do committee meetings or at least move to important business. But I guess we're not going to see them in chamber until it sounds like March or sorry, in, in, until May. Correct. So earlier this week, John Myers, who is the LA Times Sacramento bureau chief, took to Twitter to announce that, quote, California's legislature's COVID-19 cancellation of activity has been extended to May 4th, say legislative leaders. Quote, our priority continues to be bending the curve of infection, end quote, the leader said in a joint statement. Um, in Myers' further reporting published in the LA Times the next day, I believe it was, uh, quote, lawmakers were supposed to return to Sacramento to resume work on April 13th, a date that began to look less tenable as the number of COVID-19 infections and related deaths across the state continued to rise. The initial decision last month to suspend activities at the state capitol was unprecedented in California history and came after legislators grappled for several days to balance public health concerns with the need for action to address the impact of the pandemic. Both houses quickly passed a $1 billion relief plan on March 16th before putting a halt to all legislative business. So again, March 16th was the last time that they met, and that's it. So Governor that Gavin Newsom... That was so long ago. Reporting. That was decades ago. <laughs> Feels like it, doesn't it? Uh, continuing from the reporting, Governor Gavin Newsom said recently that he had been in touch with the two leaders to discuss changes to the timetable for the legislature's return, legislature's return rather, uh, but insisted the final decision was theirs to make, end quote. So uh, this cancellation really is throwing the entire legislative schedule into absolute and utter chaos. Normally, every bill that's going to be voted on uh, has to be voted on by committees before May 31st, 31st even, in order to have any chance of passing into law in that legislative session. But with the cancellation of all legislative activities through May 4th, this schedule now seems entirely untenable and we do not know what the fuck is going to happen. Yeah. It's just a complete disaster. Yeah, no, and, and there's a lot of important business that we're still working through. Um, a lot of important business that, like, for bills that got turned into two-year bills uh, last legislative session, this was the time when, like, they would pass or fail. Um, there's a lot of work that's getting held up here, and especially when we're in a time of crisis, like, this is the time when the legislature should be in session passing emergency legislation, using the state of emergency declaration to do what they can to protect people. If you're at home and you've got nothing to do, just call your state legislators. Like, there's maybe nobody in the office, but who cares? Like, I literally want to hear that their voice, that their voicemails and their um, answering machines are so overloaded that they start smoking. Like, 
This is the time to use your free time to pressure the people in power to do yes. their fucking jobs. Like, they didn't get laid Absolutely. off. They didn't get furloughed. They didn't get sent home. They just chose to not work anymore. And it's unacceptable to see that happening, especially when we live in this age of technology, when you can have committee meetings by fucking Zoom, when you can have, like, updates from the people that we pay a decent salary to, to go up to Sacramento for us. You know, they're not doing this out of the goodness of their heart. They're doing it because they have political ambitions and they get fucking paid for it. And it's time for them to earn that. All right. Yeah. And this, this actually also brings to mind a, uh, one of these, these things that I originally, when I first started getting like, you know, hooked on the idea of, uh, getting involved with political work was the you know originally one of the one of the part of the part of the original bill of rights that was supposed to be introduced into the constitution way back in the 1700s uh, was that we would have you know our legislature be the the, the congressional legislation uh, be handled in a process where there's like a maximum number of <laughs> residents that each each member of the body represents i think it was supposed to be limited at like 60,000 or something like that but everybody's like oh you can't possibly do that because then the the size of congress would be way too big and it's just like okay well no like that just means that the physical building is the limiting factor there and with our state of uh, you know knowing knowing now how much technology has progressed and how we're we're basically living through a crucible of you know, proving that people can work remotely and that you can have a distributed system of government if you actually get your shit together. Yep. This is going to hopefully remove some of the some of the framework of that discussion that had really boxed it in and said, no, 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 no. You can't have more legislators to to actually represent and start drawing up this this legislation. You you have to have two hundred and fifty thousand people being represented by a single person in Congress. You have to have, you know, twenty million people being represented by a single senator. It's like we don't have any excuses anymore now that this this pandemic has really brought to light the fact that you can do this business if you want to and if you try you can find a technical solution to get this shit done and that honestly is uh, potentially a huge light at the end of this tunnel is that we could see some serious reformation of how our government is structured if we fight for it, because yeah. there's no reason why we should have so few people making so many, so such huge impactful decisions that have impact so many people when, you know, they are obviously, there are so few of them and they are so totally beholden to corporate interests. Uh, we need to change that shit. Exactly. So anyway. All right. So uh, let's, uh, let's shift gears to a little bit of the weird and wacky, you know, uh, as I've mentioned several times, like. I make a point of reading sites like Zero Hedge every day because I want to see uh, what the unhinged white guys in our society are up to. And there are some, like, <laughs> choice conspiracy theories out there, you know, about COVID being, like, a bioweapon that escaped a lab and that it was, like, you know, actually engineered by, like, the the uh, powers that be to scare everyone into this, like, new surveillance state that this is all just a front. Like, the virus actually exists, but it's not as bad as it as they're making it out to be, that people aren't really dying, that, you know, there's there's a lot of crazy stuff. Um, but we actually saw here in L.A., uh, some of those conspiracy theories, or at least the idea of a conspiracy theory, resulting in, like, some actual mm -hmm. danger and, like, some Michael Bay-level fucking action. Like... <laughs> This is a this is a crazy story from the port of L.A. Let's like dig into this one for a sec. Absolutely. So, yeah, a moment of 
kind of levity, uh, just in terms of the absolute absurdity of it. So anyway, on Tuesday, quote, an engineer deliberately ran a train off the tracks at high speed near the port of Los Angeles in an attempt to crash into the USNS Mercy Hospital ship, prosecutors say, end quote. Uh, yeah, I mean, hashtag, that hashtag <laughs> physics on that one. Cause like, cause like, let's, let's talk about this. Cause it's not like the train gets anywhere near to where the, the hospital ship was parked. So like, what was his plan to get to the hospital ship? Uh, honestly, this does not sound like a person who actually has a plan as you will see later in the reporting. Um, I, I, I can only imagine he thought that it was going to be something like literally a Michael Bay movie where suddenly a, a, a moving physical object is now loaded with like C4 somehow. Um, because the reality is that when things crash, they tend not to, to explode in a giant ball of fire. That is, that is a cinematic and creative license being taken by directors to, you know, shock and awe audiences. It is not how the actual physics of these kinds of interactions between large industrial equipment actually work. Uh, but the, yeah, it, we'll, there's some more details. We'll get to it. So uh, the train came off of the tracks and smashed through concrete barriers, fences, and it just caused absolute and utter chaos on its path toward the Mercy. But it came to rest about 250 yards short of the hospital ship. So I... I Speaking on the physics, I have no idea what the hell he was yeah, no, he had to do. There were there's no to, tracks. Yeah, he had to cross like three parking lots, including one that was like made of gravel, several physical barriers. Like, I guess he just thought the train <laughs> weighed so much that it would like just kind of keep going that like the inertia Perpetual would just, motion. yeah, would just like carry it like a couple because it was like 500 yards or something that he had to get across or like 1500 yards. Like, Ugh. this was a long distance that he wanted this literally like out of control locomotive to cover. Absolutely wild. So uh, some amazing details from the reporting. Quote, he allegedly made statements to a CHP officer that included, quote, you only get this chance once. The world is, the whole world is watching. I had to. People don't know what's going on here. Now they will. End quote. Uh, <laughs> what? Uh, officials say video from inside the train's cab shows Moreno, the guy in question here, holding a lighted flare during the incident. I mean, that's pretty epic. Like, if you're gonna, if you're gonna go out... <laughs> Go out holding a flare, looking like a crazy person. <laughs> this is like something right out of Con Air. Uh, Moreno has been charged with one count of train wrecking, which I didn't know that was a thing. Uh, according to the U.S. Attorney's that Office, like the charge a cool carries crime. a maximum penalty of 20 years in prison. I, I mean, yeah, it's like that seriously has to go back to like the days of the Old West where you know, you would dynamite the tracks or something to derail the train so that you could rob the gold that was being transported by, you know, Western Union or whoever it was. Uh, anyway, this is this is insane. So getting a little bit back to the details of, of, of like what the USNS Mercy is and why it's there. This is a hospital ship from the U.S. Navy that has around a thousand hospital beds on board, along with around 800 active duty doctors, nurses, and medical staff. The kicker here is that they're not even treating COVID-19 patients on board. Uh, they're literally here to provide relief to the area hospitals uh, that are completely overwhelmed by the number of COVID patients that they're being, you know, asked to handle. So this ship has nothing directly to do with COVID-19. It's, there's, there's, I mean, they're trying to keep the virus off the ship. It has, 
like no role to play in the spread. It is simply trying to alleviate the pressure on our gutted infrastructure uh, that you know the the neoliberal politics of the last thirty years have done to our public health infrastructure. We do like these. So many hospitals have been shut down, and the, the owner of the L.A. Times made his business and made billions of dollars off of the process of buying up hospitals, getting those hospitals to buy a ton of a medical equipment from other companies that he owns, yep. and put themselves so far into debt that they were no longer able to keep their balances you know, working in, in the positive direction. So then they had to shut these hospitals down, and all the while he's making money off of it. We've seen an absolute gutting of this infrastructure, and now we're getting to deal with the ramifications of it, and we're having to use our military to come in and provide relief because we've got literally vacant hospitals sitting around in the city of Los Angeles that aren't being used, and now they're starting to discuss, like, okay, how are we going to you know, turn this thing into a COVID treatment center? Previously, there was the, the one that was in, um, or the one that is in Mitchell Farrell's district that was originally being slated for uh, discussion as a a housing, um, you know, an emergency housing shelter is now they're they're now in the works to turn that into a COVID treatment center. Although I don't actually have any real updates on what they're planning to do with that at this point, but that was one of the proposals. So it's just the fact that we even have empty hospitals sitting around and that these hospitals have to have to exist to make money. It, it really highlights just how completely backassward our priorities as a nation have become. And honestly, anybody who is out there and who is talking about, you know, who is denigrating Medicare for all or any other kind of a single payer health care proposal is really just cheering on the deaths of hundreds of thousands of people in this country. And they all need to shut the fuck up. Well, and to pivot back to the hospital ships, like these have been such a ridiculous exercise in the stupidity of bureaucracy and the inability to deliver care. So we have the the Mercy yeah. out here, and I forget the one that's in New York, but the one that's in New York yep. is literally treating 20 patients because in order to get onto one of these hospital ships, you A, have to not be a COVID case. So you have to be completely yep. cleared and not show any signs of COVID or uh, and be tested and be shown to not have COVID in your system if you're asymptomatic. Uh, they have a very restrictive list of uh, conditions that they will actually treat. Before you can actually be treated, you have to go by ambulance to another hospital to be quarantined and watched for like 24 to 72 hours. Then that ambulance has to take you to the hospital ship where you will finally be treated. So I think in New York, they have like 20 people on the ship. On the the Mercy out here in, in the port of LA, they've got like 15 people on the ship. You know, these... these it's, it's, yeah. are, and the, the Navy has very specific regulations about this and about who they're able to treat and what they're able to do. But this was really just a show of force by the Trump administration to be like, oh, look, we're going to we're gonna send in the Navy. They're going to help. And then it turns out they didn't bother to put any of the uh, structures or emergency orders in place to actually allow them to help. Like, we literally have, as you just noted, hundreds of doctors and nurses on this ship with nothing to do. And it's... Yep. You know, it, like I can understand the fr the frustration of someone like Moreno. I, I don't share his like, oh, this is like some larger conspiracy. But at the same time, we keep seeing that the government authorities that we have, that even the military, like we can literally put a, a precision guided munition on the ground anywhere on the planet within like 20 fucking minutes of deciding who we want to blow up. But we can't deliver hospital beds to the most populous cities in the fucking nation. Like... That is such a bass backwards thing. And it's weird because the military, first and foremost, is a logistics operation. 
You know, we are the only force on the planet. The U.S. military is the only force on the planet that can deliver boots on the ground with relief supplies anywhere on the planet within 24 hours. Tsunamis, earthquakes, volcanoes, what the fuck ever you have. We literally had Marines building hospitals for the Ebola outbreak last year. Literally dropping into a place and in 48 hours having whole hospital units like field hospitals built. And this also comes on the fa- on the heels of the announcement that Staples Center is being turned into a massive field hospital. Um, we're seeing, you know, like Madison Square Garden, I believe, in New York has been turned into a field hospital. Maybe not MSG, but there's another large sports complex in New York City that's been turned into a field hospital. We're clearly able to do this. Like, we're clearly able to create these kind of, like, emergency uh, medical facilities when we really want to. We saw in China that they were able to build a new hospital in 10 days out of, like, shipping containers. Uh, they've been doing the same in the UK and experimenting with these temporary hospitals because we know that, like the demands of the the outbreak are going to at some point subside. But we have this weird, you know, uh, kind of mirror universe thing going on where we have the capabilities to provide relief, but we have these bureaucratic, like, structures in place that are stopping us from doing that because, again, we're more beholden to the idea of the law than we are to saving people's lives. And this is one of those things that Ace keeps bringing up, that the law is just something we made up. It's not real. We can literally undo all of this shit tomorrow if we wanted, and in my opinion, we fucking should, because it's not helping. Yeah, so, uh, before we before we get so, any of you angry enough to try and drive your train into a boat, uh, let's, uh, <laughs> let's move on to the pickups for the week, because we have a bunch of ways that you can get involved and get, ac- get active, um, and things you should definitely uh, keep... Uh, you know, kind of like keep in mind, especially if you're you're in the mood for some more Zoom meetings. I'm going to flag at the top to keep your eyes on Twitter and on Instagram for last minute announcements of more rolling protests. Um, we obviously aren't going to broadcast when these protests are going to happen, but there will be announcements. Yep. They will be, you know, not very long before the protest happens because we want to maintain the element of surprise. But if you want to get out there yep. and yell at your city council, we will definitely, along with our allies, have many opportunities for you to do that. So just kind of keep your eyes peeled for those announcements. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, pretty much anywhere social media communications happen, you should be able to find info about those. Yeah, so all of the events, uh, you know, as we continue in this this era of self-isolation and social distancing, uh, everything is basically going online. We're going to have links to the various uh, activities that are coming up that, that we're aware of um, up on the description here. And we'll also put in, you know, we'll, we'll, we're going to try to start getting those those put up on uh, on the ground game calendar as best we can uh, moving forward. This is a, a difficult time to make these kinds of adjustments and we're all working through it as best we can at the moment. So, Please bear with us and be patient, uh, and we'll try to keep you all looped in as much as possible. Um, also, we're, we we really uh, we're going to go into much more detail next week about the demands of the Los Angeles Tenants Union, but uh, it very they're very similar to the things that we were talking about from Students Deserve, uh, and you'll see a lot of protests uh, going down. There's some really great video that came out of uh, public comment. Uh, which is a you know it's, it's a media collective that is loosely connected with uh, No Olympics LA DSA LA uh, and and folks from Ground Game as well. So 
Uh, check that stuff out on Twitter. Check out uh, Los Angeles Tenants Union on Twitter. Check out BLMLA on Twitter. Uh, all of the, the places that we normally are plugging, there's, there's digital resources available to get plugged in with all of these groups. Uh, and as well as places where you can make financial contributions if you are capable of doing so to help support this work. And honestly, that is the, the fuel that is keeping this the, uh, the mutual aid machine going at this point. So thank you so much to everyone who has been able to contribute to that so far. Yeah, and, so, and I, would also, uh, I would also flag that if you would like to get in on a ground game meeting, we now are doing these by Zoom. Yes. Uh, you can hit us up on Twitter or on Facebook or info at groundgamela.org uh, and we can send you the yeah. link. Uh, we have been expanding the reach here um, and getting people to like drop in and see what a ground game meeting is like. Whether you want to organize it's with us in really the long, cool. time, long term or you just want to see what it is that we get up to on a weekly basis, uh, it's really good. We're always excited to meet new people, to get new people in. Um, and also, like, since we're doing things on Zoom, we can fit more than like a couple dozen people in, like we can in our office. So like... This yeah. is a time to like get involved. It's going to be every Thursday night starting at 7.30. We wrap by 9 with a hard out. We try and not have like long marathon meetings. We're covering a lot of stuff, mm-hmm. not just the Mutual Aid Network. Ground Game's always doing a bunch. So if you are excited to get involved for uh, November 2020 or start strategizing for 2022, come get at us. Drop yeah. into a meeting. Start talking to your friends and neighbors. Get yourselves organized. Absolutely. So as always, if y'all have any events that you want us to be taking part in, publicizing or just being made aware of, please, please, please send us a message. You can reach us through the Ground Game LA Facebook page or by email over at podcast at groundgamela.org. This podcast and every Ground Game podcast is a production of Knock.LA. You can support our work over on Patreon at patreon.com slash knock underscore LA. Check the description, of course, for sources, links to actions, and social media uh, for all of the things that we've been discussing. And I'd like to wrap us out here on a quote from uh, Dwight D. Eisenhower, who you know is is famous for having coined, uh, or at least being uh, you know making uh, popular the term the military-industrial complex. Uh, part of his farewell speech, he highlighted the absolutely disgusting nature of military spending back in the 50s when he was in office and it has only gotten worse today so just a quick quote from him here quote the cost of one modern heavy bomber is this a modern brick schoolhouse in more than 30 cities we pay for a single fighter with a half a million bushels of wheat we pay for a single destroyer with new homes that could have housed more than 8,000 people those are some heavy numbers to think about, and uh, yeah, we need to end the military and yeah. <laughs> dismantle it and spend our money on actually making people's lives better. This is absurd. Uh, I'm th- hopeful that people are actually starting to wake up to this reality at this point, and uh, we we know that you know we've seen uh, you know trillions of dollars being pumped into the economy to keep the stock market afloat. And we know that it will cost the same amount of money to be making the lives of millions of people better, safer, uh, more equitable, and putting people into housing, taking care of their medical debts, taking you know, medical debt shouldn't be a thing, all of this stuff. I, I, I'm hopeful that this is going to be a galvanizing event that really changes the political future of this country. And uh, I'm really excited to continue this work and see more people join us in this fight. So thank you so much for listening. Uh, and stay safe out there. Make sure you tell your loved ones that you love them. And uh, yeah, do yeah. anything you can to stay sane through this. Thank you much, Chris. Thank you all. Have yourselves a good, safe Thank week. You. And uh, we're going to get through this together.
Take care.